so I was, I normally throw in the number of like, say 7,500 people. So there were other women and, and children there. And I was just doing the math. How much money would it take in our day to feed 7,500 people one meal? And it says they ate as much as they wanted. Now, it was barley loaves and fishes, so it wasn't like, you know, filet mignon. So this was more like fast food of our day. And at a fast food restaurant, it takes you about 10 bucks to eat as much as you want. To eat, you know, it's not just the one Chick-fil-A sandwich, it's the second one, you know, that my sons are always asking me for, you know. And I'm looking at my family, and I'm like, if you guys all ate as much as you wanted, that's like $90 right here at Chick-fil-A, you know. But Jesus basically has the resource to, for $75,000 for one meal for these people. And then I kind of got nerdy, and I was like, okay, Jesus did this for one meal, but he did this for 40 years in the wilderness. How much money would it have taken to feed 2 million people three meals a day for 40 years in the wilderness? So Americans spend about $7.20 a day on food, and what you get, you do 2 million people times $7.20 times 365 days a year times 40 years, and you get $210 billion, $242 million. This is the point. Jesus has power to provide for us. He doesn't only have power for us to give us money to go buy the food. He has power to make the food, power to create it. I actually feel this is timely for some of us in this room. Jesus has power for financial deliverance. Jesus has power for physical deliverance. And the point of him releasing his power is to point you to him. The signs and the wonders, the point for him releasing his provision to these people, it was a sign not just to fill their belly, though that felt good, but it was a sign to point to him, the true bread of life. It's so they could have faith in him. And we're going to get to get that in just a minute. So this happens. Verse 11, let's pick it up. It says, he took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, and they ate as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said this, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, this is a reference uh, that's referenced a few times in the book of John. And Brian Fenimore pointed this out to us in John chapter 5, that Deuteronomy 18 verses 15 through 19. It's a very important prophecy in the first five books of the Bible, Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. And it was Moses prophesying, it was the Lord telling Moses that he was going to raise up a prophet like Moses amongst the people. And the whole point of God raising up this prophet is so that this prophet would speak the words of God. And it says, it's him you shall listen to in Deuteronomy 18. And it says, I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak whatever I command. And if the people don't listen to him, 
The Lord says to Moses, I will require it of them, or I will hold them accountable for not listening to him. So it's interesting that they say, this is the prophet, the one we need to listen to, because he's speaking the words of God. And then at the end of the chapter, they refuse his words and they refuse his teaching. And this just, I felt the fear of the Lord on my life. I feel like we need to pay attention to this warning. We can say with our lips the truth of who Jesus is, but reject and be offended by the words that come out of his mouth and turn away and stop following the true Jesus and start following the Jesus of our imagination. We need the counsel of Scripture and grace to believe who Jesus is as the Bible describes him. And when we call him the one that the Father has sent into the world, we need to be uh, careful to receive all that he has commanded, all that he has said. We don't want to be believers that kind of pick and choose what we receive of Jesus' teaching. We don't want to be a church like that. We want to be a church that says, this is the prophet. This is the one who came into the world. This is the one who God has sealed. And I need to listen to every teaching, to every counsel and glean from it. And where I don't agree with it, I need to align myself up with it even before I have understanding fully. Let's keep going. So Jesus does this miracle, verse 15. It says, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. So we had 5,000 people there. They're like, we got, we got a group. Let's go. Let's make him king right now. Let's march to Jerusalem and let's get this thing on. Let's get this thing over with. Let's get these Romans to leave our nation and let's put Jesus on his throne. And it says that... Jesus withdrew himself, perceiving, verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force, Jesus withdrew himself to the mountain. Verse 16, and when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Matthew tells us that Jesus at this time was on a mountain praying by himself and that he sent his disciples across the sea. And this is, of course, the famous passage of Jesus walking on water. It says the sea, in verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Matthew says they shouted out, it's a ghost. I can just see myself doing that or my son's doing that like, ah, ghosts are real, it's a ghost. Verse 20, Jesus says, it is I, do not be afraid. Now, this is where the other gospels say that Peter hears these words, and I wonder if it was the power of these words, it is I, do not be afraid, that gave Peter such peace and such confidence to where he says, well, if it's you, let me come out as well. Of course, John doesn't tell us about that. Goes on to verse 21. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to where they were going. So I think the point here that the Lord was communicating to me this week and that 
I wanted to focus on tonight, just on the walking of water, is that we need Jesus in our boat. When Jesus gets in the boat, the waves calm. When Jesus gets in the boat, it said they were immediately to the other side. Now, I think it's interesting that it, in the other Gospels it says that, that Jesus came at the third watch of the night, which was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So that means they left at evening rowing, and the disciples had been rowing till at least 3 a.m. against this storm. And then they see Jesus. And I just think it's amazing because the disciples, they were doing something that they had done time and time again. Most of them were fishermen, and most of them grew up fishing on the Lake of Galilee, and they were doing something they knew how to do. And I think Jesus was saying, guys, a shift is coming, and you need me for everything. I wonder if when Jesus said in John 15 that without me you can do nothing, I wonder if they talked amongst themselves from time to time going, we couldn't even row across a lake without him, and we were fishermen. But this was convicting me this week. How many times do I go about my work? How many times do we go to school? How many times do we go to meetings? How many times do we travel? And we don't invite Jesus in our boat. We do the things that we know how to do that are mundane, and we don't ask Jesus to be a part of it. Jesus wants to be a part of everything. He says, no, without me now, you can do nothing. I want to be a part of your marriage. I want to be a part of the conversations with your children. I want to be a part of your work environment. I want to speak to you about your job, about your boss, about those employees around you. I want to help you minister my grace and my name in every part of life. And I think this, can remind, this reminds me that without Jesus, there is struggle and there really is storm. How many of you experience struggle and storm without Jesus? With Jesus, there is peace, there is safety, and there is supernatural help, supernatural provision. So allow the Holy Spirit to examine your life. Allow, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our lives and go, where are we just kind of coasting, and where do we need to invite Jesus to partner with us, to help us, to walk with us, and to be in our boat? Amen. Well, we are cruising through verse 22. So it says, the next day, the people, they come, and they figure out Jesus isn't there, and they go to find him on the other side of the lake. Let's go to verse 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus says this to them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. I think it's amazing. Jesus knew what was in their hearts. And he says, you're not seeking me because you saw a sign, and this sign pointed you to me, and you're coming to me as the Messiah. You're coming to me as the one who can save. You're coming to me because you want another meal. And he just 
stops the conversation right there. He says, you can't come to me like that. You have to come to me on my terms. You have to come to me seeking me as a treasure, seeking me as a jewel, seeing me as the one who does have the words of the Father. And I feel like we see this all the time, and I call it roller coaster Christianity. I'm going to seek Jesus only when I need my material needs met, not because he's the treasure of my life. When the signs and the wonders are supposed to reveal who he is truly as the Son of God. And then Jesus says this, Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures for eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean we stop our jobs and we stop providing for our families. No, but it means there's a heart reset in our pursuit. There's a heart reset. And now all that we do, we do for his glory. All that we do, we do for his name, knowing that we will receive an inheritance when we stand before him because our lives have been repositioned to seek him to run after Him. It's the famous verse, seek first the kingdom of God, which He's the King, and all these things will be added unto you. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's our Father, hallowed be Your name, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. And only after that, for the glorification of Your name, for who You are, give us this day our daily bread. It's not wrong to pray for daily bread. We need our daily bread, right? As a father, I would be in... I would, I would be in sin if I didn't strive to provide for my children. As parents, we would be in sin if we just like coasted and didn't do that. But the Lord's saying it's more than the food that perishes. There is a food and a bread that leads to eternal life. And he's setting up the argument to point them to himself. Verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? I find that as an interesting response to what Jesus just said. And Jesus says, this is the work of God. This is one of the greatest verses in the New Testament. I love this verse. Now, guys, my favorite verse and my favorite chapter is the chapter or the verse that I have just studied or have just been praying, okay? So I say that all the time. <laughs> this is my favorite verse. This is my favorite chapter. It's just because that's just been what I'm in. It says this. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus just boils it down. He says, you want to do the works of God? It all starts in believing who I am. Now, he's going to go on and make his first I am statement in the book of John. There's seven. And he's going to go on to say, I am the bread of life. That miracle that I just did yesterday of the feeding of the 5,000, and you had food in your belly, that miracle is a point to me that I'm the true bread that the Father has given you. And this encourages me. What pleases God? What action honors God? It's belief in His Son. When we see Jesus in the Word as the provider, we trust Him that He's going to be that in our lives. We believe He's the provider. When we see Jesus in the Word as our righteousness that brings us to the Father, we trust Him that He is that, and we call ourselves righteous before the Father. It all starts in who He is, and then we put belief in who He is. And Jesus says, this is what pleases my Father. This 
is the work of God that you believe in me. And then from that, belief is going to produce faith. And from that, faith is going to produce action. And from that, action is going to produce the releasing of the kingdom of God in our lives and in our families and in our workplace and in our cities. But it all starts with belief. So I'm going to have my notes online tomorrow. I have <laughs> a lot of pages of notes. So we're going through them. But each of these points that, I, that, I'm, that I'm saying, I have a little bit more that you can dive into if you'd like to. So let's go to verse 30. Now this is amazing to me. They say, then what sign do you do that we may believe you? <laughs> what work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as, as, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, this shocks me. He just fed 5,000 people, and they asked him to give him a sign. Not only a sign, but the same sign, basically, that he just gave. I think this is telling and revealing that, that they weren't coming to him for who he was. They were still wanting this bread thing again. <laughs> they were like, we'll do another sign. It's lunchtime. We're hungry. We'll believe in you for one more sign. Verse 32. And now Jesus gets serious with them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father now is giving you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they're still not tracking with him. They say, Give us this bread always. Verse 35. Here's the point of the whole passage. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He says, guys, it's me. The whole thing, 40 years in the wilderness, that wasn't Moses, that was my father. And that was pointing to a day where the father would give you the true bread of life. I've done a sign. I did it yesterday. I fed all of you from five loaves and two fishes. Here's the point. I am the bread, and you need to come to me. Listen to what he says. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. There are so many characteristics of this bread of life in John 11. I found 11, or in John 6, I found 11. I'm not going to take you to eat first. I'm just going to name them. When we come to Jesus, he says he is the bread of life, and it says we will never hunger. It says we will never thirst. It tells us that this bread came down from heaven, which he was with God, and God sent him down so that we could have life in him. It says that this bread requires coming to him. We have to come to him, and we have to come to him in faith that he is who he said he is. It says that if we come to him, he will raise us up on the last day. That's so encouraging to me. If I come to Jesus now, if I put my faith and trust in him now, then when he returns on the last day, I'm going to return with him or he's going to raise me from the grave. I don't know quite how that works. But he's equating this bread of life with eternal life. It says that, well, let's move on. Verse 51, Jesus takes this idea all the way to the cross. And this is where it begins to get hostile. They start in verse 41 to grumble and complain. He's the bread of life. He came down from heaven. How, how, 
does this happen? This is Joseph's son. This, we know his mother, Mary. We know his brothers and his sisters. How did he come down from heaven? Verse 51, Jesus takes it a little farther. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. So Jesus starts to take this idea all the way to the cross. I think it's interesting because we can look back on this now and know that the flesh that he was giving was his flesh on the cross. The blood that he was giving was his blood poured out. Us partaking of the flesh and the blood of Jesus is us coming to him in belief that he is the son of God, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the grave, and that in, with faith in him, we are the righteousness of God. But they didn't have our perspective. They didn't have the cross already before them. It was, it was coming. And Jesus is alluding to it. And I think it's interesting. Jesus could have just stopped and explained everything at that moment. He could have said, hey, guys, everything about my flesh that I'm talking about right now, this is because I'm going to give it for you on the cross. I'm going to die for you. The blood thing I'm talking about, it's, this is about me spilling my blood for you and my blood washing your sins. But he doesn't. He keeps this tension because he's trying to reveal the heart of these people that are with him. He's like, some are really believing in me, and some, they need to be sifted just a little bit. Now, I am sure a lot of these who are in, in just a minute are about to leave him, when they heard the preaching of Peter, when they heard the preaching of John, when they heard the preaching of Paul after Paul got saved, I'm sure they started to do the math. Oh, the blood. Oh, the flesh. But Jesus had no trouble preaching a hard message and watching 5,000 people leave him, and then he's left with just a few disciples. Jesus has no fear of man. <laughs> and, what every, and whatever Jesus says is true. And we can use this passage to go back and go, whatever Jesus tells me in my life, whatever the Word of God says is true. And it's us that are required to align with it even before we have full understanding. I just put this, we have to stay with the hard sayings and teachings of Jesus before we walk in revelation of them. There are many hard teachings and concepts to grasp in, teaching, in the teachings of Jesus and in Scripture. And there is a process of revelation. And Jesus reveals this in John 6. I mean, there are hard things in the Word of God. God creating the earth in six days and resting on the seventh, that's kind of hard to get your mind around, right? There's a hard aspect of believing that Jesus is the only way to the Father and proclaiming that. That's a hard aspect. That's a hard teaching in Scripture. That there really will be a second coming, that there really, really will be a kingdom set up on the earth that will last forever. These are hard things but we need to stay with them, guys. If we stay with the teachings of Jesus, if we stay with the hard sayings, sayings of Scripture, and we ask the Lord to reveal them to us, He will reveal them. But it takes perseverance. And I actually think it takes coming to Him with hunger to want to know. 
He says, to the hunger and those who are hungry, I'm going to satisfy. To those who come to me thirsty, I'm going to satisfy. We cannot stop following Jesus when biblical truths get hard. We must press in and ask the Lord for further revelation. And so we see a lot of people leave Jesus at this time. Let's go to verse 66. It says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Again, Jesus is fearless. He's just sifting who's really believing and who's not. Verse 67. So Jesus turns to the 12. And he says, do you want to go, want to go as well? And I love this response of Simon Peter. I love that we have it in Scripture. I love that we can hold on to it as our own. Simon Peter answered him. He says, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I think the thing that kept the twelve with Jesus at this time was that they had experienced life in his words in other contexts. I think what kept Peter trusting at this time was though he didn't have full understanding is that he had experienced the manifest presence of God in the words of Jesus at other times. And he was trusting, though I don't know everything that you're saying right now, you speak the words of life and I've experienced life in your, life in your words. I've experienced you speaking to lepers and seeing them cleanse. I've experienced parables where you pulled back the under, you pulled back the veil and I understood who the Father was. He's like, I don't get this one right away, but this I know. You have the words of life. And he says this, and we have believed and we have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Peter's going, I know you're the Holy One. I think it probably helped that just the night before they saw him walking on water coming into the boat and immediately they were on the other side. That was probably a helpful faith booster, you know. Like, I don't understand everything right now, but I just experienced that. But he says, we have believed. We have put faith in you. And in that belief, we have experienced life. And I think it's interesting that he says, and we have come to know. So we believed first. We were experiencing life. We believed in you. And we progressively have come to know that you are the Holy One. This is what, this is the process that I see in my own life. I believed in Jesus when I was 18, but I have come at 35 into a fuller understanding of who he is, knowing that I don't know everything by any means, but I know more of him than I did at 18, but I believed fully at 18. I just didn't have that time and that experience to experience the words of life, and I hadn't come to know Jesus like I come to know today, and I think that's true for all of us. We know he has the words of life. We're not going to go away from him. We have believed that he is this, but we are coming to know. And we are coming to walk in a fuller understanding of who he is. It all starts in believing that Jesus is who he says he is. 
even when we don't fully understand everything. And there is a continual, eternal, never-ending understanding of Jesus that will bring life to us forever. I think the greatest picture, or one of the greatest pictures of this, are the four living creatures before his throne. It says there are, there are these four creatures. He's filled them with eyes, within and without, and they fly around his throne, and they open their eyes, and they see him, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All the earth is full of his glory. No one's keeping the four living creatures there. They're not chained to the floor of the new Jerusalem. They are staying there because they are being fascinated with revelation of who he is. They're seeing him. They're experiencing him, his presence, and they're describing and giving worship and glory to who he is. And I think it's amazing. Isaiah sees them in Isaiah chapter 6, and then... A thousand years later, John sees them in Revelation chapter 4, and they're still saying the same thing. Jesus has the power to fascinate us. Jesus has the power to reveal himself to us. And in that revelation, we stay alongside him. We stay with him. And that's basically all Peter was saying. He's like, where else could we go? I'm not leaving. You have the words of life. And I feel like that needs to be our commitment in the word and our commitment in our Christian lives as we walk day in and day out and we kind of walk in and out, not in and out, but, we, but, but there are things we don't understand, but we stay faithful and we stay with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. So that was what, 60 or 70 something verses in 30 minutes. So we might not do that again the next time, but I was just like, I'm going to get, I just want to get through the whole thing. <laughs> So now we're going to break up into our small group discussion time led by our leaders. And anything that was on your heart, anything in this passage that the Lord highlighted to you as our discussion leaders lead our group, talk about them freely. Get, share how the Lord is revealing himself to you in John chapter 6 because there's power in that confession. And you guys have things in your heart and things in your mind that the Holy Spirit has prompted for the encouragement of others in this room. And so, before we dismiss, I'm just going to pray for us. Is that cool? Yeah. All right. Lord, we just thank you for who you are in your word. Lord, we say we confess that you are the bread of life. That your words carry the words of life. We align ourselves with Peter and we say, where else could we go? Where else could we go, Lord? And we ask you for faith and help to believe in your name. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that it was your flesh that you gave for the life of the world. And we thank you for that sacrifice, that it pleased God and it was his will to crush you so that you could receive an inheritance in us. We thank you for that. And we ask you for more revelation. Lord, right now as we fellowship and as we talk about you, Holy Spirit, we ask you for life and we ask you for power. We ask you for direction. And we ask you for encouragement in these, in, in, through John 6. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.
Jim, any other instruction? Are we good? All right, you're dismissed. Go to your groups. Amen.